Section 41 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 2. Section 41. Selected Excerpts by Aristotle. The Nature of the Soul. From on the soul book three chapter six concerning that part of the soul however by which the soul knows and is prudentially wise whether it is separable or not separable according to magnitude but according to reason it must be considered what difference it possesses and how intellectual perception is produced if therefore to perceive intellectually is the same thing as to perceive sensibly it will either be to suffer something from the intelligible or something else of this kind it is necessary, however, that it should be impassive, but capable of receiving form, and in capacity a thing of this kind, but not this, and also that as the sensitive power is to sensibles, so should intellect be to intelligibles. It is necessary, therefore, since it understands all things, that it should be unmingled, as Anaxagoras says, that it may predominate, but this is that it may know, for that which is foreign at the same time presenting itself to view impedes and obstructs. Hence, neither is there any other nature of it than this, that it is possible. That, therefore, which is called the intellect of soul, I mean, the intellect by which the soul energizes dianetically and hypoleptically, is nothing in energy of beings before it intellectually perceives them. Hence, neither is it reasonable that it should be mingled with the body, for thus it would become a thing with certain quality, would be hot or cold, and would have a certain organ in the same manner as the sensitive power. Now, however, there is no organ of it. In a proper manner, therefore, do they speak who say that the soul is the place of forms, except that this is not true of the whole soul, but of that which is intellective. Nor is it forms in intellecea, but in capacity. But that the impassivity of the sensitive and intellective power is not similar is evident in the sensoria and in sense. For sense cannot perceive from a vehement sensible object, as for instance sounds from very loud sounds, nor from strong orders or colors can it either see or smell. But intellect, when it understands anything very intelligible, does not less understand inferior concerns, but even understands them in a greater degree. For the sensitive power is not without body but intellect is separate from body. When, however, it becomes particulars, in such a manner as he is said to possess scientific knowledge who scientifically knows in energy, and this happens when it is able to energize through itself, then also it is similarly in a certain respect incapacity, yet not after the same manner as before it learnt or discovered, and it is then itself able to understand itself. By the sensitive power, therefore, it distinguishes the hot and the cold and those things of which flesh is a certain reason, but by another power, either separate, or as an inflected line subsists with reference to itself when it is extended, it distinguishes the essence of flesh. Further still, in those things which consist in ablation, the straight is as the flat nose, for it subsists with the continued. Some one, however, may question if intellect is simple and impassive and has nothing in common with anything, as Anaxagoras says, how can it perceive intellectually, if to perceive intellectually is to suffer something? For so far as something is common to both, the one appears to act, but the other to suffer. Again, it may also be doubted whether intellect is itself intelligible. 
for either intellect will also be present with other things, if it is not intelligible according to another thing, but the intelligible is one certain thing in species, or it will have something mingled, which will make it to be intelligible in the same manner as other things. Or shall we say that to suffer subsists according to something common? On which account it was before observed that intellect is in capacity, in a certain respect, intelligibles, but is no one of them in entelecheia, before it understands or perceives intellectually. But it is necessary to conceive of it as of a table in which nothing is written in entelecheia, which happens to be the case in intellect. But in those things which have matter, each of the intelligibles is in capacity only. Hence, intellect will not be present with them, for the intellect of such things is capacity without matter. But with intellect the intelligible will be present. Since, however, in every nature there is something which is matter to each genus, and this because it is all those in capacity, and something which is the cause and effective, because it produces all things, in such a manner as art is affected with respect to matter, it is necessary that these differences should also be inherent in the soul. And the one is an intellect of this kind because it becomes all things, but the other because it produces all things as a certain habit, such, for instance, as light. For in a certain respect light also causes colors, which are in capacity, to be colors in energy. And this intellect is separate, unmingled, and impassive, since it is in its essence energy. For the efficient is always more honorable than the patient, and the principle than matter. Science also in energy is the same as the thing, which is scientifically known. But science which is in capacity is prior in time in the one to science in energy, though in short neither is capacity prior to energy in time. It does not, however, perceive intellectually at one time and at another time not, but separate intellect is alone this very thing which it is, and this alone is immortal and eternal. We do not, however, remember, because this is impassive. But the passive intellect is corruptible, and without this the separate intellect understands nothing. On the difference between history and poetry, and how historical matter should be used in poetry. From The Poetics, Chapter 9 But it is evident from what has been said that it is not the province of a poet to relate things which have happened, but such as might have happened, and such things as are possible according to probability, or which would necessarily have happened. For a historian and a poet do not differ from each other because the one writes in verse and the other in prose, for the history of Herodotus might be written in verse, and yet it would be no less a history with metre than without metre. But they differ in this, that the one speaks of things which have happened, and the other of such as might have happened. Hence poetry is more philosophic and more deserving of attention than history, for poetry speaks more of universals, but history of particulars but universal consists indeed in relating of or performing certain things which happen to a man of a certain description, either probably or necessarily, to which the aim of poetry is directed in giving names. But particular consists in narrating what, for example, Alcibiades did, or what he suffered. In comedy, therefore, this has now become evident, for comic poets have composed a fable through things of a probable nature. They thus give whatever names they please to their characters, and do not, like iambic poets, write poems about particular persons. But in tragedy they cling to real names. The cause, however, of this is that the possible is credible. Things, therefore, which have not yet been done we do not yet believe to be possible, but it is evident that things which have been done are possible, for they would not have been done if they were impossible. Not indeed but that in some tragedies, 
there are one or two known names, and the rest are feigned. But in others there is no known name, as, for instance, in the flower of Agatho. For in this tragedy the things and the names are alike feigned, and yet it delights no less. Hence one must not seek to adhere entirely to traditional fables which are the subjects of tragedy. For it is ridiculous to make this the object of search, because even known subjects are known but to a few, though at the same time they delight all men. From these things, therefore, it is evident that a poet ought rather to be the author of fables than of metres, inasmuch as he is a poet from imitation, and he imitates actions. Hence, though it should happen that he relates things which have happened, he is no less a poet. For nothing hinders but that some actions which have happened are such as might both probably and possibly have happened, and by the narration of such he is a poet. But of simple plots and actions the episodic are the worse. But I call the plot episodic, in which it is neither probable nor necessary that the episodes follow each other. Such plots, however, are composed by bad poets, indeed through their own want of ability, but by good poets on account of the players. For, introducing dramatic contests, and extending the plot beyond its capabilities, they are frequently compelled to distort the connection of the parts. But tragedy is not only an imitation of a perfect action, but also of actions which are terrible and piteous, and actions principally become such, and in a greater degree when they happen contrary to opinion, on account of each other. For thus they will possess more of the marvellous than if they happen from chance and fortune, since also of things which are from fortune those appear to be most admirable, which seem to happen, as it were, by design. Thus the statue of Mytias at Argos killed him who was the cause of the death of Mytias by falling as he was surveying it. For such events as these seem not to take place casually, hence it is necessary that fables of this kind should be more beautiful. On Philosophy Quoted in Cicero's Nature of the Gods If there were men whose habitations had always been underground, in great and commodious houses, adorned with statues and pictures, furnished with everything which they who are reputed happy abound with, and if, without stirring from thence, they should be informed of a certain divine power and majesty, and after some time the earth should open, and they should quit their dark abode to come to us, where they should immediately behold the earth, the seas, the heavens, should consider the vast extent of the clouds and force of the winds, should see the sun, and observe its grandeur and beauty, and perceive that day is occasioned by the diffusion of his light through the sky, and when night has obscured the earth they should contemplate the heavens, bespangled and adorned with stars, the surprising variety of the moon in her increase and wane, the rising and setting of all the stars, and the inviolable regularity of their courses. When, says he, they should see these things, they would undoubtedly conclude that there are gods, and that these are their mighty works. On Essences From the Metaphysics Book 11, Chapter 1 The subject of theory, or speculative science, is essence. In it are investigated the principles and causes of essences. The truth is, If the all be regarded as a whole, essence is its first or highest part. Also, if we consider the natural order of the categories, essence stands at the head of the list, then comes quality, then quantity. It is true that the other categories, such as qualities and movements, are not in any absolute sense at all, and the same is true of negatives, such as not white or not straight. Nevertheless, we use such expressions as not white is. Moreover, No one of the other categories is separable or independent. This is attested by the procedure of the older philosophers, for it was the principles, elements, and causes of essence that were the objects of their investigations. 
the thinkers of the present day to be sure are rather inclined to consider universals as essence for genera are universals and these they hold to be principles and essences mainly because their mode of investigation is a logical one the older philosophers on the other hand considered particular things to be essences e g fire and earth not body in general there are three essences two of these are sensible one being eternal and the other transient the latter is obvious to all in the form of plants and animals with regard to the former there is room for discussion as to whether its elements are one or many the third differing from the other two is immutable and is maintained by certain persons to be separable some make two divisions of it whereas others class together as of one nature ideas and mathematical entities and others again admit only the latter the first two essences belong to physical science for they are subject to change the last belongs to another science, if there is no principle common to all. On Community of Studies, from the Politics, Book Eight. No one, therefore, can doubt that the legislator ought principally to attend to the education of youth, for in cities where this is neglected the politics are injured, for every state ought to be governed according to its nature, since the appropriate manners of each polity usually preserve the polity, and establish it from the beginning. Thus, appropriate democratic manners preserve and establish a democracy, and oligarchic an oligarchy. Always, however, the best manners are the cause of the best polity. Further still, in all professions and arts there are some things which ought previously to be learnt, and to which it is requisite to be previously accustomed in order to the performance of their several works, so that it is evident that it is also necessary in the practice of virtue. Since, however, there is one purpose to every city, it is evident that the education must necessarily be one and the same in all cities, and that the attention paid to this should be common. At the same time, also, no one ought to think that any person takes care of the education of his children separately, and privately teaches them that particular discipline, which appears to him to be proper. But it is necessary that the studies of the public should be common. At the same time, also, no one ought to think that any citizen belongs to him in particular, but that all the citizens belong to the city, for each individual is a part of the city. The care and attention, however, which are paid to each of the parts naturally look to the care and attention of the whole. And for this some one may praise the Lacedaemonians, for they pay very great attention to their children, and this in common. It is evident, therefore, that law should be established concerning education, and that it should be made common. Him to virtue. Virtue, to men thou bringest care and toil, yet art thou life's best, fairest spoil. O virgin goddess, for thy beauty's sake to die is delicate in this our Greece, or to endure of pain the stern strong ache. Such fruit for our soul's ease of joys undying, dearer far than gold, or home, or soft-eyed sleep dost thou unfold. It was for thee the seed of Zeus, stout Heracles and Leda's twins, did choose strength-draining deeds to spread abroad thy name. Smit with the love of thee, Aias and Achilles went smiling down to death's portal, crowned with deathless fame. Now, since thou art so fair, leaving the lightsome air, Atarneus's hero hath died gloriously, wherefore immortal praise shall be his guerdon. His goodness and his deeds are made the burden of songs divine, sung by memory's daughters nine, hymning of hospitable Zeus the might and friendship firm as fate in fate's despite. Translation of J. A. Simmons. End of section forty one.